Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey everyone, Dr. Mark Hyman used to say, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. It's something I would repeat all the time. But as the conversation around longevity and health span continues to evolve, I'm starting to change my tune on that. And so is Mark. I think more people should be open to tweaking their perspectives in the health and wellness space. And if Mark, an internationally recognized leader in functional medicine, can alter his philosophy over time, I think we all can give ourselves some grace. Today, Mark is back on the show to talk about how his healthy aging routine has evolved over the years. The new rules of longevity, if you will. It's an episode you definitely don't want to miss. Mark, welcome. Hi. So great to see you. I think the last time I saw you was when we uh, interviewed you in your previous book, and I believe it was December 2020. Uh, you had bought a one-way one-way ticket to uh, somewhere in Hawaii, Maui, Maui, Maui. Yes. So, so how are you? What have you been up to besides writing the, your 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 newest book? Well, I've been actually trying to reverse my biological age and heal all the decades of driving myself into the ground, trying to make everybody else healthy. So. It's been a good couple of years, and I've learned so much about what it takes to live a good life and to live a healthy life and to live a long life. So I'm super excited about it. And so let's let's define aging, because I think that's a good place to just to, to start. Uh, give us a primer. You know, how do you think about aging beyond just adding a, a year every 365 days? Uh, what are the root causes of aging? How do you think about aging in terms of a definition? And and what's really going on? Okay, well, that's a lot. But I, I think it is a lot. It is a lot, but you're the guy. <laughs> so first, first of all, I think, you know, I want to say that the pursuit of longevity for me personally is not a hedonistic pursuit. It's not about defying death. It's not about just kind of some selfish way of, having more life it's it's about being able to be able to give back the gifts that i've gotten and the wisdom that i've gotten over the decades of life that i've lived and now when i finally feel like i'm figuring it out <laughs> like when i finally feel like i got life figured out more or less and i'm pretty happy you know it seems like a shame to just die and and kind of which is, you know, I'm like 63. So when I think of like my parents and their parents, I'm like 63 was old, you know, but, but I think we, we, we've kind of lost the tradition of elders and of wisdom and of giving back in our society. And I, I saw in my travels to Sardinia and Icaria, how these cultures really welcomed, included, and made people who are older, a key part of their community. And I think that's what we've kind of lost in this culture. Uh, I also think that it's also about sort of saving the economic fate of the world because the crippling cost of chronic disease is uh, is just destroying uh, government budgets across the world, uh, overloading healthcare systems. And a lot of it has to do with um, chronic disease that's leading to these accelerated diseases of aging. And so as I begin to sort of think about, you know, taking my lens of functional medicine and applying it to longevity, it became clear that we really you know, need a complete rethinking of healthcare and medicine from the perspective of getting to the root causes of 
what makes us have these age-related diseases. And, and what's really exciting for me as a functional medicine doctor is, you know, I've been tuning this horn for decades, is that now the longevity scientists, people, you know, at the forefront of, of understanding the biology of aging, uh, people are winning the Nobel Prize and who are discovering CRISPR and who are, you know, people just kind of way smarter than I am are, are coming to the same conclusions, which is that there are these underlying phenomena that go on as we age that cause us to get older faster, that cause us to have a more rapid advance in our biological age. You know, our chronological age, we can't change. You know, I was born in 1959. There's nothing I knew about that. Uh, but I can change my biological age at any time in my life. And so the, the scientists have really uncovered what they call these hallmarks of aging. And these hallmarks of aging are phenomena that seem to occur at a rapid rate as we get older, but they're modifiable. They're not inevitable. And, uh, you know, for example, if we cured heart disease and cancer, period, from every place on the planet, how much longer do you think we'd live as a species? You know, three, five, seven years. But if we address these underlying mechanisms that are underlying all the diseases, like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia, and so forth, we might extend life by 30 or 40 years. So instead of living an extra, you know, five years and 85 is the average lifespan, our average lifespan might be 110 or 120. And that's kind of interesting to me, because if you can live a life that is not just what we see now as what we think of as normal aging, which is essentially abnormal aging. It's frailty, decrepitude, disability, pain, dysfunction, you know, diseases. I mean, the average person's health span, which is how many years of life they're healthy, and their lifespan, which is how many years you're alive, don't match up. It's about a 20-year gap, right? The last 20 years are spent in poor health. And that, to me, is, you know, terrifying. So most people are starting at you know, late 50s, early 60s, start to have multiple chronic diseases. And in America, six out of 10 Americans have a chronic disease, and that includes all Americans, right, from babies to older people. So when you look at older people, it's well over 80% have some form of chronic disease, and, and many have more than one. So these are not inevitable consequences of getting older. They're the phenomena that occur as we don't live lives that are treating our bodies as they were designed. Our bodies are brilliant systems that have incredible innate intelligence and in incredible longevity switches that if we learn how to activate them, can repair, heal, rejuvenate, and restore ourselves in, in, at any age, uh, which to me is really remarkable. And, I, and I, I, I've seen it in my own body. You know, I, I'm you know, 63 now, and I can say I'm stronger, fitter, and more muscular, than I was when I was 40. And I'm like, how does that happen? You know, because, you know, it, it, the clock doesn't have to progress biologically if you actually learn how to apply the science of longevity. So I've done my biological age through DNA methylation, and I'm 43, even though I'm chronologically 63. And I've had patients who are chronologically 63, but they're actually 75 <laughs> biologically, uh, right? And, and, and that's kind of very hopeful, right? We, we can have a life that addresses these things. So these hallmarks of aging are things you might have heard about. Uh, they're things that have to do with our nutrition or deregulated nutrient sensing. People are talking about mTOR and sirtuins and, and things like 
uh, insulin signaling and AMPK. These are all kind of in the in the zeitgeist now around how people are starting trying to biohack aging. But they have to do with what we're eating essentially. So most of our diet is turning on all the wrong signals and not turning on the longevity switches. Uh, we have other hallmarks that have to do with our mitochondria and damaged proteins and epigenetic changes and DNA damage and telomere shortening and change our microbiome and inflammation. And, and these are things beautifully that we can actually do something about. They're not inevitable. And so, you know, if I in my book, Young Forever, I really took a look at not just the science of longevity through the hallmark lens, but through the lens of functional medicine, which goes to the root cause. So if scientists are saying the root cause of the disease of aging are the hallmarks of aging, then my question is, what's the cause of the hallmarks? <laughs> and that's where functional medicine comes in. So there, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think at the highest level, what we're trying to solve for is increase health span as we increase lifespan. So to your point, you don't want this 20-year gap where you live to 90, but your quality of life is terrible because of disease, frailty, what have you, from 70 to 90. What we're looking to do is maximize health span. So maybe that means... You know, I live to 80 and I, I'm feeling great until 78 or maybe 80 or whatever that number is. You, you can't, to some degree, you can't control every year you're going to add a year. Um, but to that point, you know, what are, you know, what's going on in the body in terms of the things that accelerate aging that happen no matter what we do? and the things we we have somewhat control over. So what are the things we just, we, we can't control the, the clock every year, for example. What can't we control and what can we control? It's unbelievable how much we can control. There's very few things we can control, you know, getting hit by a bus or, you know, maybe you can control that by looking both ways before you cross the street. But, you know, there's there's very little, honestly, in the process of aging that we can't control. We can control our diet, we control our activity levels, our exercise, our sleep, our stress levels, the nutrient levels we have in our bodies, our phytochemical intake. We can control things like hormesis, which are stresses that don't kill us, but make us stronger that activate longevity pathways. The one thing that we really have, I think, a harder time controlling is living in a sea of toxins. We live in an incredible sea of environmental toxins and, and we can minimize them, but it's hard to eliminate them, right? I mean, I like fish, so am I going to never eat fish? I probably shouldn't if I really wanted to get rid of every toxin, microplastics, and every bit of mercury, and you know. But I don't. I just, but I activate my body's own healing systems the best I can for detoxification. But you know, it was interesting. I was in Rwanda recently, uh, um, and there was uh, Jason. There was not one piece of plastic anywhere, and there was no garbage anywhere. And I was like. I didn't, I didn't click. And then I was reading about it and I was like, basically the president outlawed plastic, <laughs> no plastic. And, you know, we're, we're just so accustomed to being exposed to environmental chemicals from our, um, in our food, from pesticides and additives and chemicals to our, our body care products, to our household cleaning products, to pollution, to our, you know, our, our food in different ways through heavy metals like mercury. So, you know, I think those are the things we really can't control as much. Although 
you know, I'm on the board of the environmental working group and there's wonderful guides they have on how to reduce your exposure from like sunblock or makeup or, I mean, who knew that, you know, a lot of lipstick has lead in it, right? Well, that's dumb, right? <laughs> or well, I never touch a credit card receipt, right? Because you want to receive, I'm like, no. And because it's full of bisphenol A, which is a carcinogen and causes insulin resistance and has all the other met metabolic harmful effects. So yeah, I think the toxin thing is harder, but pretty much everything else we have under our control. And, and I think that's what's so beautiful about it. And the simple practices that I outline in Young Forever in my new book are, are really accessible to almost everybody. So beyond looking in the mirror, which we all do, what, what are some of the, the key labs or tests we should look at to assess how we're doing with regards to our aging? So, you know, it's really quite exciting, Jason. I, I, um, I think we can look at our biomarkers, um, in, in novel ways, uh, not your, you know, traditional tests that you go to your regular doctor and get, but you know, biomarkers you can get on a regular conventional lab, like Quest or LabCorp, and also functional medicine biomarkers, and also really increasingly uh, age-related biomarkers like DNA methylation and so forth. So there's a whole suite of things that I, I go over in the book about what are the foundational tests in, in what you can do, but we need to be looking at our hormones, our lipid levels, our blood sugar control, our levels of inflammation, our our um, our gut function. And there's just so many important biomarkers that we can look at that tell us where we are in the spectrum of health or disease. And I actually uh, co-founded a company with my friend Jonathan Zwerdlin and others uh, called Function Health, which uh, is available now and allows people to go for 500 bucks and become a member and get access to over 100 biomarkers that retail cost $15,000 that I've designed as a longevity panel with an interpretive guide on what to do when you find this stuff. And then you can track it over time and recheck the abnormal things and get a really clear ongoing picture of what's going on. Uh, there's also increasingly um, available tests over the counter, like, like True Diagnostic, for example, has a DNA methylation test, which looks at your epigenetic age, which when I said I'm 43, that's, that's what I mean. I'm not actually 43, but I'm biologically 43 based on my epigenetic marks. Uh, there are tests that look at cancer liquid biopsies, which is really exciting, where you don't have to wait till you get some tumor. And that's not really a preventive test from the sense of of preventing. It's more like early detection, but it's very early detection. you know. And I think uh, that's a new test by Gallery or Grail. And there's uh, other incredible imaging studies that can look better at your heart, looking at AI-driven technologies using CT scans, look at heart plaque and soft plaque heart plaque and soft plaque in your arteries. So there's a lot of things I talk about in my book that are giving people a roadmap of what to check and, and look at. And then if, you know, depending on what's going on with you, if you like, you know, have a history of inflammation or you're potentially toxic and there are questionnaires in the book where you can identify that, I go, okay, well, maybe you need to check for heavy metals and here's how, or maybe, you know, you've got some inflammatory or issue or you need to do this particular test for food sensitivities or, you need to look for latent infections, or maybe you've got a lot of gut issues, and that, that can be a big driver of, of aging. So it's very personalized, but there's a basic set of, of biomarkers that we should all be looking at. And there's there's no one silver bullet biomarker. It's There's a lot of them. I think the biological age test, the, the epigenetic test, is, is as close as you're going to get to sort of an, an age-related biomarker. So if you want to say, am I aging in reverse, or am I going forward in my biological age? that's a good test to do. Uh, so if you do want to do interventions, change your diet. Let's say you want to follow the program in my book. You want to change your diet and do this kind of exercise and uh, you know, hack your sleep and, and re learn how to reduce stress and improve your, your nutritional status and take these phytochemicals that upgrade these different pathways that have to do with longevity. 
try it and see what happens and then check your DNA methylation six months later and see if you got made any progress. I mean, there's a, a friend of mine, Kara Fitzgerald, a functional medicine doctor who did a study looking eight week intervention where, it, I mean, it was remarkable. I, I, there's a lot of these studies out there, but you know, they'll do one thing. They'll look, oh, they'll give you a vitamin D. They'll give you a little growth hormone and DHEA and maybe metformin. And then those sort of, like, I would say they're, they're kind of more pharmaceutically focused. But they but they gave uh, these people just a really aggressive functional medicine diet, which is an anti-inflammatory, phytochemical-rich, detoxifying diet, and a few extra phytochemicals and some lifestyle stuff. And in, in eight weeks of interventions in this population, they were able to reverse biological age by three years. So that was just over eight weeks. So, you know, we have the capacity to do this. And people go, well, you know, it doesn't, this doesn't work or that doesn't work. Well, I always say it depends on the dose, right? If food is medicine, it depends on the dose and the drug that you're giving. So if, if uh, you want to study aspirin and you give two milligrams of aspirin and see if it works for a headache, it's not going to work, right? You need 325 milligrams or 650 milligrams of aspirin to cure your headache, not one or two milligrams. So a lot of these, these studies that use food are not using an aggressive enough approach to see the change that you need to see in biology. And I think it's an important point with all the labs and testing. It's so exciting and there's so much at your fingertips. But, you know, I encourage people, you know, if cardiovascular disease runs in your family, maybe focus on a lipid panel. I just did a clearly test, you know, amazing technology. If, if cancer, hormones, like like kind of like pick pick your lanes. I think everyone probably has a sense of the things they're concerned about. You don't have to do everything. And sometimes that could be TMI and we know if that's that could be a bad thing. Uh, one area with regards to the longevity science, which I, I think is is interesting because there there are varying views, is mTOR, which you mentioned. You know, we've had people like Walter Longo and David Sinclair who believe we need to inhibit mTOR, thus control protein intake, limiting it. While we've had people like Dr. Don Lehman and Peter Atia, who I know you know, who disagree. You know, what's your take on, on mTOR? Oh, great question. Uh, I actually just had interviewed Don Lehman for my podcast. So He's great, isn't he? He's great. So this is really such a classic thing when you see people focusing on sort of a reductionist approach. So for those who are listening who don't understand what we're talking about, mTOR is one of the hallmarks of aging. It's one of the, the pathways of deregulated nutrient sensing that we call deregulated nutrient sensing that are involved in causing rapid aging if they're not properly modulated. So there's four longevity switches, I call them, that in these pathways. There's, there's uh, insulin signaling, which is overstimulated by too much sugar and causes rapid aging. Um, mTOR, which can be overstimulated by too much, also sugar, by the way, and uh, carbs, but also stimulated by amino acids, protein. And then there's uh, two pathways that are detecting scarcity, uh, which are AMPK and sirtuins, when there's low energy states and starvation, they get kicked on, right? So mTOR and insulin get kicked on when there's too much of something and AMPK and, and um, sirtuins get turned on when there's not enough food. So mTOR is needed to synthesize protein. So if you want to build muscle, you need mTOR. But if you have it always switched on, you're going to overgrow, meaning cancer and other horrible diseases of aging. And you will not allow the body to do this self-cleaning process we call autophagy. So autophagy basically means self-cannibalism. So it's, it's a built-in system of recycling, repair, renewal, and regeneration, 
right? So imagine if you were just like, you know, cooking in your kitchen and just you just cooked all the time and you never and you never cleaned up. It would be a freaking mess, right? So you need times of build up and break down. You need the demolition crew to come in and you know clean things up and recycling crew, and you need also the building crew. And so it's kind of absurd to say we should be inhibiting mTOR all the time because then you're gonna end up frail and weak with no muscle. And I see this a lot. You see people who don't understand the science of protein, very frail. And 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 you know, frailty is a is a risk factor for early death, for falls and sarcopenia. People don't understand that sarcopenia is means loss of muscle. It's like osteoporosis, but except of your muscles, it affects almost every older person. And it's frightening. You don't have to be any fatter or any have any weight gain, and you can lose half the muscle or more in your body and be the same weight as you were when you were 25 and 65, but be twice as fat. And it's marbled muscle. And that's a problem because that that unhealthy muscle and that lack of muscle leads to pre-diabetes, to diabetes, to cancer, to inflammation, to lower sex hormones, to lower growth hormone, to higher cortisol, all the things you want going in the opposite direction if you want to live a long, healthy life. So literally losing muscle is a disaster when it comes to aging. And so you, you need to be able to stimulate mTOR in the right way at the right time but not all the time, because you also need autophagy to be stimulated. So it's really like the Goldilocks problem, you know, not hot, not too hot, not too cold. And I think people on either extreme, you know, go, well, I'm just going to eat protein all the time, or I'm just going to like never have protein. I'm going to be a vegan. I, I think you're going to get into trouble if you don't understand the science. Now, if you want to be vegan, that's okay, but you have to understand what you're doing and and how to stay out of trouble. Because if you don't have enough leucine, and this is just science. This is not opinion. This is not, you know, I, I, I was actually just in Rwanda and I was uh, really privileged to go spend time with the gorillas, the mountain gorillas. And it's been a, on my bucket list forever because when I was in college and in, in biology class, Diane Fossey came and gave a talk about gorillas. She's like the Jane Goodall of the gorillas. And I always sure, dreamed wow. of going. Yeah, it was very cool. She got kicked out of her one time and she came and she kind of had a residency at Cornell where I was in college. And I, I just, I heard her speak and I was like, holy cow, I went and talked to her and it was quite amazing. Anyway, the gorillas are vegan and they're massive. I mean, like big and muscular. And, and here's the thing though, Jason, they eat 55 pounds of plant food a day and their intestines are enormous. There's big bellies they have are not fat. They're not like pot bellies. They're, they're just large intestines because they need to be able to digest the food. So unless, and they eat half the day. So yes, you can get enough, but you have to eat. Like, for example, in order to get enough of leucine and protein, to get 30 grams of protein, uh, let's say you want to get 120 grams, which is really what you should be getting, you need to eat 31,000 calories and 24 cups of brown rice. Now, that just doesn't make any sense, right? If you eat beans, it's better and so forth. But you basically have to either have uh, processed protein powders that are vegan and also add extra amino acids, which are synthesized from yeast, like leucine. So you can get around it if you want to be vegan, if you're committed, but you've got to know what you're doing. So you, and, and you all these big, big, vegan bodybuilders, I guarantee you they're not doing it by eating beans and grains. They're eating it, they're doing it by eating these super duper jacked up protein powders. And that, and that 
you know, there's a question, do you want to eat all this processed food? I don't know. <laughs> like, I think, yeah. And I think, it, and I met these people. And I'm like, how do you, how do you look so jacked and you're a vegan? And well, like, this is what I do. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Now it makes sense. Hey, look, I think this is where the rubber hits the road in our world. And it's an emotional conversation. You know, to your point, there is science. You need the 30 grams of protein. You need the two and a half grams of leucine to promote mu muscle protein synthesis. You need it. And there's various ways to get there. But back to the mTOR conversation, what is the middle ground? Is it 100 grams? To, you know, you talk to layman, layman will say everyone needs 100 grams a day, period. Like, what's, what's your take? If you're lifting, if you're exercising, if you're doing resistance training, if you're focused on building muscle. Yeah, I mean, here's the scary part. You know, uh, the, people don't understand what the RDA is. The recommended dietary allowance is 0.8 grams per kilo. What that means is this is the minimum amount you need to not get a protein deficiency disease. So how much vitamin C do you need to not get scurvy? 60 milligrams. How much vitamin D do you need to not get rickets? 30 units. How much vitamin D do you need for optimal health? Maybe two to 5,000 units, right? More than 10 times <laughs> what, what you, the minimum is. So and even according to the minimum, women over 65, 40% don't get enough protein. And for women between like the ages of like 18, 25, about 25% don't get enough. So people go, oh, Americans get too much protein. It's actually true. Men, it's a little bit better, but, but it, you know, it's really not true. And so I think if you really want to build muscle, the best way to do it is to, and this is something I've learned myself because I was kind of a, with a skinny runner, right? And I did yoga and I thought I was good, but I didn't really have that much muscle. And now I like, I, you know, not bragging or anything, but like, I look at my body compared to when I was 40 and I'm 63. I'm like, it's just, it should like look like the opposite. Like it should like be the 40 is the 63 year old and the opposite. Cause I, I look so much different now with more muscle because I've understood what to do. And I don't exercise that much. I'll do maybe half an hour bands three or four times a week. And I, what I do is I have like 35 to 40 grams of protein. I use goat whey, regeneratively raised goat whey, plus I mix it with some plant proteins like pumpkin seed and organic pea protein. And, 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 uh, and then I get up to my like 35, 40 grams. And that has made a huge difference for me. Um, and then, you know, another probably 20, some five to 30 grams over lunch and then 30 over dinner. And I think if you do that, you're going to probably get between 100 and 120 grams, depending on your size. If you're a weightlifter, bodybuilder, you might want to do more. If you're older, there's something called anabolic resistance, which means you, you need more protein and you need more exercise to get the same benefit. Um, but the truth is you can also, you don't have to, you, you don't have to do it in a way that totally screws up mTOR. There's a lot of ways to mimic mTOR inhibition and mimic calorie restriction by, for example, taking a 12 to 14 to 16 hour break between dinner and breakfast. I mean, if you ate breakfast, dinner at six, and you eat breakfast at eight in the morning, that's 14 hour fast. <laughs> it's not that hard. All right. And that gives your body a time to recycle and, and, and do autophagy. Now, there may be hacks like rapamycin, which is a, a drug that can inhibit mTOR. There may be things like fatty 15, which is a C15 fatty acid that also inhibits mTOR. That's like a natural product without the side effects of rapamycin. There's other phytochemicals that do the similar, similar things. So there's all these ways that I talk about in the book to kind of hack this. But the truth is, you, it doesn't have to be that complicated. But you can't ignore the science of, of muscle and aging. And, and muscle is the currency of aging. If you want to stay functional, healthy, and fit, and do shit when you're older. Like I just came back from Switzerland and I was skiing down these really long runs and I was I was doing as good as when I did it when I was 30.
In fact, I think my legs hurt less, maybe because I'm a better skier or maybe the skis are better. I don't know. But <laughs> I think I think if you can stay pretty fit and vigorous until you're very, very old. And I've, I've seen this when I was in Icaria and in Sardinia. I saw these 95-year-old, 100-year-olds like just outperforming most of my friends who were in their 50s and 60s. I mean, this one woman, Aleka, she was like 90 years old and she was like climbing up and down, running like she was full time running like a farm by herself. Like I, she had, I was like on the side of a mountain and she had all these orchards and gardens and animals. And like her husband was like a hundred. So, you know, he didn't do much anymore, <laughs> but you know, he walked and stuff and he was still pretty fit. But I but, uh, I was like, holy crap. I would try like chasing her up the mountain. And, uh, it, you know, I think we have the capacity biologically to do this. We just don't know how to turn on these longevity pathways. So you mentioned feeling so great at 63 compared to your 40s. I'm curious, is there anything you look back and say, you know, I can't believe I used to do that, or maybe the, sci the science proved to be wrong on this thing I was doing and I've changed? For sure, for sure. I mean, it was, I mean, it's things we all know, right? We thought, oh, you know, carbohydrates are good. Pasta is a health food, right? <laughs> Whole wheat bread's good for you. Well, those are for sure not true. Uh, and the more refined starches and sugars you eat, the more you're activating insulin signaling, the more you're activating mTOR, the more you're, you know, inhibiting AMPK and sirtuins. So, I mean, we know that that uh, that's not a good strategy for longevity. Now, um, I, I I met this guy the other day who, who was a CEO of uh, Nestle Health Sciences, and he was like 53, super fit, and he showed me his Garmin watch, and he's like, his VO2 max was 60. And I was like, whoa, that's that's an incredible number. VO2 max is essentially is a measure of your fitness. And and the higher the number, the better off you are. So a diabetic will be like 15. If you're a, sort of a, kind of a regular athlete, it might be 35, 40. 60 is like dope. I mean, that's really, I'm like, and, he, and then he was having a piece of cake at dinner. He had this apple cake and this other, he had two desserts. And I'm like, hmm, what do you do? He's like, oh yeah, well, I, I live at the bottom of the mountain and I ride my bike up every day to work it's 2000 feet elevation and i exercise two to three hours a day i'm like okay <laughs> then you can handle the carbohydrates but short of uh and i'm like you do the winter he's like yeah i just have fat tires and i wore warm clothes and i'm like this guy's pretty dedicated you know you bring up a point which i think is interesting you know you used to say you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet and i would repeat that all the time and, and look we both believe we, we both believe food is foundational, food is medicine, but I, I have to say in my personal experience and anecdotally I, I, stories like the one you just shared, I'm kind of changing my tune on that one, that you can. Listen, unless you're exercising three hours a day and riding 2,000 feet elevation and have trained your body to be so able to regulate carbohydrate, yeah, okay. But that's that's like, that's like, 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 Point zero 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 one percent of people who are over fifty, right? So I, I don't I don't think it's a good piece of advice to give everybody. Uh, although I would say that you know, if you if you train yourself to be metabolically resilient, you have what I call more metabolic degrees of freedom. You don't you're not as 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 kicked off balance. If you're a diabetic and you have a piece of cake, you're screwed. But if you're metabolically fit, you can actually tolerate more. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be eating foods that are inflammatory, that are low in phytochemicals, that are low in fiber, that don't have good essential fats. I mean, there, there's a whole set of things we, we have to pay attention to. And I don't want to say people should be eating cake and having two desserts because that's not a good idea for longevity. But I was just impressed that, you know, this guy was able to be so fit and, and, and he was able to do, do it because he was working two or three hours a day. 
at 53 years old. You, know, you mentioned VO2 max, and I think of the wearables. I'm wearing my Aura, my Whoop. You know, a lot of people track HRV and, and resting heart rate. I'm curious, what do you think is helpful to track there to kind of assess your your cardiovascular overall physical fitness? Because sometimes it could be TMI. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the exciting things and also one of the overwhelming things are the wearables. So the quantified self wearables, whether you mentioned Aura, Whoop, and Garmin, Apple Watch, um, you know, continuous glucose monitors uh, and biosensors on your bed. And I mean, I, you know, I have, a, I have like biosensors in my bed. So there's, there's all this information you can track. But I, I think, you know, looking at, at simple things like heart rate variability, looking at, you know, your nighttime resting heart rate, these are really good bits of data to look at that help you sort of see what's going on. If you really want to get fancy, you can do VO2 max testing, which your Garmin watch will eventually do that. And, and I think that's more for athletes. Uh, you can go to a metabolic lab and check your VO2 max. I think it's something that's it's, it's interesting for most people to do because they they don't really know and you can't tell. Like, I'm pretty fit. You know, I walk every day. Well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But like, let's see what, what your numbers look like. And in terms of exercise, all exercise is not created equal. Uh, there is, you, know, you mentioned the blue zones. You got lots of people who are just walking and moving all day, and they're they're doing those hills. Um, you have people who are running marathons. You have people in the gym. When it, when it comes to longevity, how do you think about exercise, and how do we get our biggest bang for our buck? Well, you know, I think you know, I used to be the guy who rode my bike 100 miles a day, and you know, I'll still go out for a couple hour bike ride. But I think what's really become more and more clear to me is that that if you don't understand muscle, how to build muscle, how to improve your mitochondrial number and function, that you will age faster. And that that resistance training, and it can be body weights, it can be different kinds of yoga even are helpful, it can be bands, it can be weights, it can be all sorts of things that you can do. But, but resistance training is so essential to stimulate muscle synthesis, mitochondrial, um, biogenesis and and improving function. So I think you need both, uh, you know, cardio, which obviously the best type is a is more interval training where you're doing high intensity like sprints because that challenge it's like challenges your cells more and your your mitochondria more. This is what we call hormesis, which is really a great topic. That's what strength training is too. You're basically causing a stress to your body that that tricks your body into actually a repair and healing mode. So when, you know, we had to deal with adversity in the past, starvation, hardship, extremes of temperature, our bodies got, you know, kind of wired to actually respond to these adverse stimuli by activating our own healing system, which is so cool. So whether it's a sauna or a cold plunge or resistance training or interval training, or whether it's hypoxia training when you can wear a hypoxia mask or hyperbaric oxygen or ozone or i mean there's a million different kinds of hormesis but learning how to do hormesis practices regularly is really really important so of all the you know i feel like that the field has come so far with regards to longevity there's so much technology there's so many toys and tricks and in your opinion what what's overrated and what's underrated i think what's overrated is metformin right now <laughs> doctors people are reading about it prescribing it and i think i think the idea of a quick fix for longevity is just a bad idea like ozempic for weight loss you know 
Terrible, terrible, terrible. It's bad. I mean, uh, you know, metformin has been used since 1957 for treating diabetes and regulating blood sugar, and it can be helpful. But but it actually has mitochondrial side effects, and it doesn't work as well as lifestyle. Uh, there's a big trial going on, the TAME trial right now, where they're doing a, a study on longevity, and, and they're going to see whether or not it works or not. But and I'm sure it'll have some benefit. But compared to what, right? Compared to an aggressive lifestyle intervention, I bet it's going to not stack up. Uh, so I think that's that's um, really kind of overrated. I also think um, somehow being vegan has gotten like, and, and these are some of the top longevity scientists, I'm just going to say, and they're friends of mine. I, I would say, I think they got it a little bit wrong. I, I don't think that, that actually eliminating animal protein, I, unless you're willing to be really stringent about your protein intake and having processed plant proteins with added amino acids that you're you're going to be in good shape. Um, so I think that's important. And I think that the other thing that's sort of underrated is just how powerful resistance exercise is to longevity and how most people do not do it. And and I hate to say it, but it it's it's I I hated gyms. Like I they're smelly, they're gross, all these muscle heads in there. I just didn't want to run and go. And not, nothing against muscle heads, but I think like I just was not my thing. I was a skinny little guy. I was a runner and I just kind of was intimidated. So I basically now have changed my tune and I still don't like gyms, but I will do home workouts with bands and other things that I can do that are, are easy to do. So I've gotten, you know, weights at home and I think, I think it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a long time. And if you don't have an hour to, you know, an hour and a half a week to work on this, you know, it's a problem. Uh, I saw this uh, one cartoon I used to use in my lectures. It says the doctor's talking to his patient. He says, um, "Do you have time to exercise one hour a day, or be dead twenty four hours a day?" <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, good point. <laughs> it, 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 I, look, I'm a huge believer in resistance training. I'm not sixty three, but I'm forty eight, and I started to notice that I was losing muscle. And I said, "Holy cow, what's going on here?" And I, I, you know, wow, sarcopenia a little early for me, but I got in the gym and noticed the difference. And I also know that the older you get, the harder it is. A lot easier if you're in your 20s and 30s, and, and it's more difficult. It, it, it can be done. It's just going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. I, honestly, it didn't take long. It took a couple of months for me to get to change my body. It was like being consistent about it. It was not hard. And I, you know, I think people think, oh, you're young from 48. Yeah, you are. But, but this starts to happen in your thirties and mid thirties, early forties. So it's, it, you know, it's not like, oh, I should wait till I'm 60 and start. I, I was dumb. If I had to do it over again, I would have been doing this for the last 30 or 40 years. I, I just started when I was 60. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, you know, of course I would talk about it forever. But I just never did it. I never really did. I, I do yoga. I do like my chaturangas and I do, you know, I can do like uh, the, 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 you know, different things. And I thought it was strong, but I, I really wasn't as in, in the same way that I am now. So as you know, we don't do nuance well in the, in the wellness world. And you mentioned the extremes. I'm a hundred percent vegan or I'm a hundred percent carnivore. And if you think about eating for longevity, how, how do you generally think about without being dogmatic and prescriptive, how, how do you think about what that optimal diet looks like? I mean, it's really not hard. I, I've written in book food, what the heck should I eat? The vegan diet. I mean, the principles are really the same as you want a very plant rich diet because phytochemicals are, are just so important for our health. And we really overlook them as key nutrients or ingredients in our food. So colorful variety of lots of plant foods. I think having 
the right amount and the right kind of protein in the right time is really, really important. Uh, and obviously, if you're eating animal protein, it should be regeneratively raised. It should be, you know, it should be good for you, good for the planet and good for the animal. Although people say, well, it's not good for the animal if you kill them. But, but you know, I think it's, it's hard to get away from, from um, killing stuff. It just, it's just a way of nature. Um, whether you like it or not, if you're, you know, a vegan, you, you know, there's 7 billion animals killed every year just growing vegetables because of agriculture. So any way you do it, you, you can't get away from it. And I think, then I think eating right, right kinds of fat, I think, uh, obviously omega-3 fats, olive oil, avocado oils, uh, C15 oils, I think are going to become a, a kind of a, a new thing that people are going to be aware of and are important in longevity that him and mTOR, um, I think obviously eating for your microbiome is really important. So plenty of fiber, prebiotic, probiotic fibers, uh, probiotic foods. So it's really pretty simple. It's not that hard. Stay away from refined sugars and starches. Stay away from processed food. I don't think any longevity scientist is going to tell you to eat more sugar and processed food. So that's just <laughs> hands down like the easiest thing to do. Um, you know, somebody's talking about Ozempic and how it lowers appetite. And I'm like, you know, uh, Kevin Hall did a great study where he gave people unlimited amounts of processed food or unlimited amounts of whole food. And they ate 500 more calories of ultra processed food because it made them um, not feel satisfied. And so they didn't feel full or they ate more. And so maybe not Ozempic, but you could cut 500 calories a day by just eating real food. So I think it's, it's really, you know, it's really how you look at it. So one last question on protein. I noticed you mentioned specific, you were specific around the whey. You said goat whey. Was there a reason behind goat whey rather than just like grass fed whey? Yes. Uh, yes. So, um, you know, historically, you know, animals, uh, heirloom animals, like heirloom plants were genetically quite different. And, uh, what we've done is bred cows to have high levels of A1 casein, which wasn't intentional, but just sort of happened. And A1 casein is very inflammatory, causes a lot more gut issues, uh, and, and causes a lot more trouble. And, and A2 casein is the type of casein, which is the protein in, in milk or, or, you know, um, dairy products, a2 casein is is much less inflammatory, much less cause, likely to cause gut issues, is way better tolerated. So goat and sheep are pretty much A2 casein. There are now A2 kind of dairies around. You can buy A2 milk. You can get A2 regeneratively raised ice cream, which I tried because I love ice cream. Um, and and so I think there there is other other um, options in terms of cow dairy. But for the most part, uh, sheep and goat are much better tolerated, and, and they're and regeneratively raised is really important, and so they just tend to be raised in a little bit different way. So that's that's what I what I use. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned the credit card receipts, which I think would would fit in the category of something that's less obvious, like smoking, which you know can can shorten health span and lifespan. Are there other things that are less obvious, perhaps a little bit sneaky, or even possibly something we think is healthy, but the reality is accelerating aging i mean the thing that popped in my head was sleep you know i think you know you can sleep when you're dead was kind of a motto that i learned in medical school <laughs> and so i think sleep is a time of repair renewal rebuilding and a time of autophagy so i think you know shortchanging yourself on sleep not focusing on the quality of your sleep is going to accelerate aging across the board and i'm curious in terms of all the new technology you mentioned uh you know cutting edge treatments now available is there one you're particularly excited about in terms of uh, therapeutics? Yeah. Yeah, I think therapeutics, you know. I think one of the things that really kind of was, was interesting that I learned, I mean, there's a whole field of regenerative medicine out there with stem cells, exosomes, um, peptide therapies. 
um, one of you know hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which I think is really promising, ozone therapy. But I, I think one of the things that I, I found fascinating was researching around uh, this concept of parabiosis. Parabiosis is this technique of wiring up the circulation of an old mouse and a young mouse. And when you do that, the old mouse becomes younger. Now, the question was, is it because you're hooking up the old mouse to a young mouse and it's something in the young mouse's blood, or is it the young mouse just filtering out the old mouse's stuff? And it turns out they reverse engineered the study, uh, these parabiosis studies, and they found that if you just filtered the blood of an old mouse, that you would get the same results in reversing biological age. And so this is called transfer plasma exchange or plasmapheresis. And it's a pretty simple technique to do. You need to obviously be in a doctor's office. It's not a big deal. It's not that expensive. And uh, and it can be extremely powerful in reversing a lot of the biomarkers by cleaning and filtering all the old damaged proteins and inflammatory products and things in your blood. I had COVID and uh, got really bad arthritis after. And when I went to get this done, I did it for that. But I literally, like my arthritis went away the next day and I felt completely different. I felt you know, much more energy and back to my normal self. So it's pretty, it was pretty cool. And see, I think it's a, a very promising therapy that most people don't know about, but I think is is going to be cool. And it's, and it's affordable. Like stem cells are like $30,000, $40,000, you know, or exosomes are thousands of dollars, but this is just a fairly simple and expensive procedure. And, and what about in terms of studies that are recent that have come out, you think are interesting and you're paying attention to? Um, what are the studies that are coming out? I think, yeah, I just think, in general, you know, anything, I'm, anything recent, anything recent you've caught. Yeah. Caught I mean, I think, eye. I think one of the things that's, that's really quite interesting that I think is still a few years off, maybe a decade or more is, is epigenetic reprogramming. So what is that? Well, uh, your epigenome is basically the, you know, conductor of your genes. So basically the piano player that's, that's playing the book of life and it can play all sorts of things. Uh, whereas your genes are fixed and your epigenome is what determines your biological age. And so the tests for biological age are measuring your epigenome. And what's really quite interesting now is that we can reprogram our genes back to a younger you through epigenetic reprogramming. You can do that through changing your diet, through lifestyle, through hormesis, through all these things we talked about. That will do the same thing. But they're talking about like taking you way back. Like, you know, if I'm 63, I could insert these transcription factors called Yamanaka factors, which were discovered by this Japanese scientist who won the Nobel Prize for it. And I could literally turn this switch on for these transcription factors. And when I'm 63, turn my biological clock back to 25, make my wrinkles go away, my hair turn black, my joints get healthier, my, you know, everything. So I'm like, well, that sounds really cool. So I think, I think we're not quite ready for prime time yet, but it's actually being demonstrated in animal models. It's very cool. I, I David Sinclair's done a lot of this work. Others are doing it. And I think it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, something to keep your eye on. Cause if that happens, then it's like going to the doctor, getting a little like kind of, kind of slight alteration of your biology with a switch in there that you can turn on at any age. And then, you know, you don't want to obviously age backwards to like zero. So you basically, you know, can stop at 25 and then you can stop the, stop the trigger that you would use or the switch you'd use to turn on these transcription factors. And then, you know, maybe let another 10 years go by and then turn it back again. So who knows? <laughs> it's kind of wild. I don't know if I find that exciting or scary or possibly both. Um, well, listen, if I could get my arthritis to go away and my back to feel better and my, you know, have more fitness and more muscle mass, like, why not? <laughs> good point. Good point. So in closing. Better sex drive. 
<laughs> I think a lot of people would vote for that. Uh, in closing, you know, in addition to picking up the book, uh, what are the what are the three things that everyone should do tomorrow that's going to increase their health span? Number one, you know, make sugar and starch and flour occasional recreational treats. Uh, two, if you're not resistance training, definitely do that. And three, learn some simple hormesis techniques, whether it's taking a cold shower or a sauna or simple, simple things you can do that I outline in the book. Those would be my kind of top three, I think. Got it. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. <laughs>